All right. Today on the show, I'm sitting with Tim Brady. He is the CEO of Caligo. We get into rewriting leadership playbook. Really, just to talk about, you know, Tim came on as the CEO of Caligo in January. Obviously, the pandemic hit in March, and we get into what happened. How did he handle that? How did his team handle that? And also, what are the projections for, you know, leadership style company KPIs? in the future once we're through the pandemic. So interesting conversation, especially if you are in an executive you know, leadership or management role. I think you'll enjoy that. But as always, hey, look, we're throwing this podcast together for you guys. We are a marketing agency called Cave Social. We help companies create and manage their social media accounts uh, or content for their accounts, and then also help with any paid advertising you need on social. So hey, if you're struggling, need some help with marketing in that front, head over to cavesocial.com, hit the contact us. We'd be glad to help you out. All right. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I am welcomed by Tim Brady. He is the CEO at Caligo. Tim, how you doing? Good, thanks. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing well, man. I, I can't complain. I you know, for those of you listening, Tim's calling in from Vancouver, which is my hometown. So I'm always partial to getting people on the show from the hometown. Got to rep that. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear your story and then dive into what y'all are doing at Caligo. So let's start with your story. Walk me through, you know, that five minute story from graduating university really to getting to where you're at now with taking over and leading this company. Yeah, for sure. It's been a wild ride taking me back to when I graduated. Yeah, so I actually started my career on the uh, finance side of things. So probably a little different than a lot of the um, CEOs and uh, uh, guests you have on uh, the podcast here. But um, yeah, so I started actually out of school at uh, a bank, one of the bigger Canadian banks in the investment side. So I was part of the capital markets division. And, uh, you know, that's really where what kind of brought me to uh, software, right? And within the financial uh, side of things, I uh, worked for a pretty esteemed analyst at RBC and, uh, you know, was able to really fall in love with the software business model, you know, and I had a really good chance to look at, you know, these 50 or 100 companies and start developing a playbook, right? So these are things I noticed that worked in these companies. These things didn't work. These are what the most successful leaders are doing. Uh, these are what the most successful software companies are really looking at. And uh, so that was just a tremendous experience. And uh, that ultimately led me to go to the buy side, as we call it, and start to invest in these companies, right? Rather than just advising and uh, researching. And that was kind of my next big step. And uh, there I was able to refine the playbook again, right? And figure out what worked, what didn't, meet with uh, hundreds of CEOs, kind of put together this ultimate playbook. I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of amazing, amazing people who had been super successful. And ultimately, um, something I had always wanted to do was go and employ the playbook, become an operator. And so I really focused on developing that skill set from the other side of the table and was able to, uh, uh, you know, when it came time to, I, I saw an opportunity. I I actually uh, went out and purchased uh, Caligo. Um, the transaction closed at the beginning of this year in January. And then we'll get into a whole wormhole on uh, that and the timing of that and whatnot, but which has been interesting. Now I'm here in the driver's seat and working on uh, employing the playbook. And uh, you know it's a great company. It's been around for 20 years. Great technology, super strong founder. Those are some of the intangibles that I liked about it. Great team. So I was able to inherit many A players, as we call them internally. And ultimately, here we are 12 months later and still... I'm working on employing the playbook every day and we're doing a lot of a lot yeah. of good things. So it's been a journey. I like it. Now, what's interesting there, right, is getting in and starting in at that analyst side of things and really being tapped in 
to so many companies and mm -hmm. every company has a different leadership style. Sure, there are some principles people can act on, but every leader I've met at least has been different, right? So taking that exposure, right, and making the playbook that you, you're referencing, I'd imagine that it was a lot of really seeing how people operated from a principle standpoint, right? And yep. then now yep. you're, you're taking that and applying it to your unique situation, I, I would say, because like I've been asked before for like, okay, what's the playbook on marketing or what's the playbook on leadership? And I'm like, well, it's evolving <laughs> and it's unique to you. But there are these principles that we can look at. Walk me through or, or, or through that first, you know, initial time. Did that exposure, did that translate to any mentor relationships? Was that what sparked you really to say, hey, I like how these guys or women walk and talk and operate. And I want to do that myself. Was there kind of like a moment there that kicked that all off? Yeah, there's a few things to unpack there. So I'll, I'll start with the first that you uh, kind of triggered as we went through there. So I would say like first and foremost, uh, the the analyst mindset and developing it from the investor side of the view. I mean, uh, super analytical. I'm a data-driven decision maker. I mean, this, this plays through into how I view marketing and all facets of the organization ultimately. But uh, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, was, uh, you know, from an, it became uh, ingrained in my DNA almost to look at companies and decision making in that uh, in that framework. And uh, yeah, there were certainly a few uh, individuals that really were, you know, that I saw and met with numerous times that were a huge inspiration for what this playbook would look like. And I took, you know, certain parts of things I thought they did very well and other parts from other leaders that I thought did very well. And then, you know, also just looking at the companies inherently, right? If you're more of a believer in the, in the horse than the jockey, so to speak, you can also look at companies that have employed these certain tactics and been successful over a long run and extrapolate kind of the commonalities uh, among those different companies. So yeah, there was you know a couple that come to mind. I mean, one of my old uh, bosses was actually, and he's still a mentor to this day. I mean, he was a big inspiration in how I how I viewed companies and ultimately helped my progression there. I always looked at Mark Leonard, the CEO of Constellation Software, as someone that I really respected how he thought about things and uh, tried to teach myself to think about things in a similar way. And then I look at more modern guys. I mean, you look at. Uh, the CEO of Box, I mean, Aaron Levy, I mean, I look at, you know, a ton of his work and podcasts he's on and books and content he writes and whatnot. And uh, I'm a big believer in the way he kind of views the world. And so, yeah, there's always, I think like any leaders kind of, you know, you develop your own internal belief system and then you find examples of where certain things have worked in other places and you kind of marry those two things. And as long as they fit within the same kind of framework, then you ultimately uh, try and execute uh, and make it successful in your own way. Right. So that's how I kind of think about it. But I like that. And, you know, making things successful in your own way really transitions to my next question, which is, you know, a lot of people who come on this show, they found a company, they go through a raise. You're on the other side. You're coming in to a company that, you know, is mature. You said it's been around for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Talk to me, you know, and that company is going to have, Caligo is going to be ran a certain way before you came on as CEO. Talk to me about some of those initial hurdles, challenges to get over from a leadership perspective on like, hey, I'm coming in, I'm this new person and you know, here's my new vision or here's where we're going to go and really getting people excited. Were there any challenges, any, any friction when you first came on or yeah, like walk me through that whole process of coming in and to something that is established. 
Yeah, for sure. And then you're right. I mean, you come in totally green, right? And you have your new ideas and the way you look at the world, which is very different than everyone on the team and how they look at the world and have done things for a number of years. And we have a number of uh, super uh, sophisticated and uh, experienced individuals on our team that have done things a certain way, right? And I think it ties back to the first point, ultimately. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can, you know, if the data supports uh, your decision in this regard, or you have the gut instinct and can back it up by, you know, drawing out the business case and whatnot, that you can really get behind anything. But uh, yeah, no, there's certainly friction, you know, and I even looked at when we came in, unfortunately, you know, part of the, the process of uh, changing how things were done was, you know, really focusing on uh, the growth areas of the business, right? And de-emphasizing some of the less strategic. So in our case, that would be, you know, focusing on the cloud side of the business as opposed to the on-premise side. And, you know, not to say you're totally de-emphasizing the on-premise solutions that you have a number of uh, super valuable customers on that you care deeply about, but, you know, you really just focus on promoting your, your growth solutions and where you see the future of the, the world and the company ultimately going. And, you know, things like making those decisions, especially when you do have uh, customers you really care about on those products, don't come easy, right? There's certainly friction. There's a bit of inertia um, you got to get through. I think when we came in and decided, you know, we're going to double down on our cloud solutions and uh, make sure that's where all our marketing and strategy is focused around and our development resources for the most part are f- focused around. I mean, it's certainly a risk and there's uh, resistance. And I think a lot of the big decisions you have to make like that, it's good to have that resistance because it means you're pushing people and it's not the easy decision to make necessarily. That's how ultimately you and the team grow, right? So that would be one of the first examples. Totally. And it means people are you know, not afraid. If there's a little bit of friction, I mean, I think it means that people are not afraid to step to stand up and have a voice in a company because if you just have a bunch of people saying yeah we'll do whatever we want whatever you want and then they're mentally checked out you're not going to build a better company and it's that whole idea of iron sharpening iron really i think that's so pivotal now you came on and you said the transaction closed in january obviously 2020 for lack of a better term it's been a cluster fuck of a year <laughs> and i say that you know we anybody listening is like yep now january you're getting your feet wet, new team, everything going. You get, as the world gets, punched in the mouth in March. Talk to me about how that really flipped things for your organization, also for your customers. And were there any pivots or anything that had to change really within your core business? And that maybe it was going to be something that was a five-year time horizon, that now is a one-year time horizon. Or walk me through really that time. Take me back to March and how things changed. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, 2030 came a decade early, right? Everything got pulled forward. Digitalization <laughs> happened almost overnight. I think Satya Nadella said it initially on our earnings call. It was like we saw two years of transformation in basically uh, two months. And uh, I think it's all getting at the same point, right? They, the paradigm shifted. So the secular trend of individuals and companies shifting to the cloud, it's been going on for you know 15 years, call it, right? But uh, this was really the catalyst or a catalyst to help it speed up, right? So that hit us in uh, March. Yeah. And we were still fairly new into this uh, journey. And you know, the good thing about software in general as in terms of a business model, and this is ultimately why, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I fell in love with this business model in the first place is that you have a good customer set, highly recurring. So disruptions like this, for the most part, don't 
disrupt your business, right? It's everybody's on fixed contracts, long-term contracts. But what really slows down and what really changed is that, you know, all of a sudden spending across the board, any industry, any company slowed down. Everybody is, you know, going through every CFO in the world's going through every line item on their income statement and evaluating, you know, what are we paying for? Is this mission critical? Does this help us with our customer facing activities? And, you know, as a natural part of that process, they start reviewing the vendors and software vendors, right? Um, so whether it's your CRM, like Salesforce or your ERP or whatever, and uh, determining what's mission critical. You know, the good thing for us, I think, is largely we skated through the early stages of the pandemic quite well because our customers see our solution as pretty mission critical to their business, right? I mean, if all your knowledge workers in your organization are using a filing and capture tool, that's critical to their records management strategy or for keeping in compliance with different regulations and policies. That's not something that goes out the door as soon as uh, something like a, an economic shock happens, right? So that we were okay from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, we had been in the office for two months as a team together. All of a sudden, everybody's working remotely. Everybody's working from home. The playbook gets flipped. You know, all of a sudden, your, your marketing motion has to go basically 100% inbound. There is no outbound. Outbound's dead. Maybe it was headed that way anyway, in a sense. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden your content, your webinars, everything like that becomes far more important. Your account-based marketing. And you basically have to flip the script on how you've been doing sales calls, uh, the solution-based selling method uh, for a bit there anyways. It seems like it's normalized a little bit now. But basically you have to rip that up and work on more provocation and challenger sales method methodology. It just, you know, everything happens so quickly. It went from, you know, Things are normal. Things are going well. The economy is on fire to everybody in the world, you know, is working from or pretty well everyone in the world working from home. Um, everybody needs extra time in their day because they have to go line up at the grocery store to get in and get groceries. And trying to lead a remote team has been interesting, right? Uh, you always have your vision of how you're going to be as a leader. And this is definitely not one I had in mind when we put this all together. But good learnings have come from that. I mean, the thing that I try and create we used to have, before everything went on lockdown, we used to have these great organic conversations that would happen in the office. And our old COO and I, you know, one night we'd be just about to head home for dinner and we start a whiteboard session on the board there. And, you know, it evolves into this whole like two, three hour long um, discussion. And we end up revamping our whole product roadmap and slightly jigging it around. And all of a sudden we realize it's, you know, 10 PM and we haven't had dinner yet. And those things just don't happen anymore. And so the lesson, I guess, is for me internally and something I try to keep pushing is how can we, you know, have those great discussions? And sometimes you never know where they're going to come from. A lot of them are, they happen so organically. It's like, you just got to have the right meetings at the right time, have the right people there and have the right agenda, make sure everybody's prepared for meetings and then hope that those organic sessions just evolve out of the blue as you go along. And, and those, things like that and trying to instill those and trying to make those happen, that's uh, really tough as a leader, but uh, you know, things you've had to adapt with as the pandemic goes on. And I think you said it best, right? It's just everything kind of got flipped on its head there in March and it's figuring out how to operate and be effective and still deliver true value to your customers in a whole new uh, paradigm. So totally it's to your point or to your early point, right? Like, Hey, we had the playbooks been ripped up. <laughs> like, and it's going back to be like, Hey, what is this new playbook in this new world? And what does this look like too? From like, what I find fascinating is there's so many things in the pandemic that are obviously, or maybe not obviously, but I hope are, are temporary, right? So there's like, okay, temporary things we have to do. What interests me though is like, what's going to stick around? What's five years from now 
what's that percentage of work from home? Is that more expected? Have people really woken up in the last six months and being like, whoa, a job is part of my life. I actually really need to spend a lot of time with my family because this is what matters, which I think, you know, people are waking up to that. I do think on the flip side, people crave those organic conversations you talk about, right? So I think for us as leaders in companies, we're at this time right now where we really got to be thinking like, okay, not only what does the next six months look like, but what does that next six years look like from just the management and work standpoint? And, you know, that playbook, I think, you know, it's like all of those lessons, I think it comes back to what you said at the start. It's like, okay, the tactical stuff's probably out the window, but we got to go back to these principles. And what are the principles that we're going to mm-hmm. rewrite the playbook with, right? Because at least in my experience, I don't I don't think this work from home stuff's going away. Like, maybe it'll be tailored. I, I don't know. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's something I actually spend quite a bit of time thinking about. And uh, the reason I, I ultimately figure that I do that is because our solutions actually work well for helping enable remote work, right? And so trying to, you know, predict, have some predictability around the future and like what working is going to look like in the future, how people are going to work, how relevant our solutions are going to be in that environment. And uh, I don't have the crystal ball, but my best guess. And I spend tons of time talking to customers and partners and employees and figure trying to put some bands around this. But I ultimately think it's, you know, we've realized that people can work more flexibly, can actually work from home and still be productive. And I don't think, you know, it's either or. I don't think it shifts back to what it was. And I don't think it shifts to or stays as it is right now where everybody's remote. I think it's some hybrid type world. And so we try to continue to make our solutions more relevant in that environment. And, you know, I try and plan for our own company internally with thinking in that parameter. But no, that's kind of my best guess is that the flexible office and the people have more optionality in their schedules and hey you can go to a doctor's appointment here and it's not something you got to schedule off a couple of weeks in advance it's like if you realize that people can as long as they get their work done they have all the technology now in the systems to be able to work from where they want to work and when they want to work so it's something that's totally uh, in the realm of possibility but uh, yeah no i'd love to hear your what do you uh, what do you ultimately think it looks like five years from now i think we're going there i think one i think it's going to be blended i think people need communication and at person to person and you know my company for since had work from home Wednesdays before. And I think it might be come to work Wednesdays in the future uh, with the other two days around. I think there's going to be a massive shift towards just OKRs. We're going to get away from inputs and, and focus on outputs. I feel like old work culture, and I've been subject to it, is like, how many hours did you put in? How many hours was I putting enough hours in, right? coming, Especially if you've ever worked, anyone listening who's worked in professional services where billable hours are a component to your... So like we erased billable hours because I realized the plague that was putting on me, the customer, everything. And I said, okay, let's move to OKR thinking. And that to me is where I think things are going to go. It's just like, hey, this needs to get done this date. Here's our workflow. I think mm-hmm. the need for uh, remote project managers, I think project managers are going to become worth their weight in gold because there's no more just like, hey, can you do that? Where's that? I, it's Now it's, okay, who's in Asana, Trello, whatever, and using all the tools and messaging everybody and making sure that things are moving. I think a blended model one, but I think moving away from inputs and focusing on outputs. It, and then we're going to be learning how to time those appropriately too, right? To not ask too much from an output standpoint. But that's where I think it's going to go. Um, because at the end of the day, I think that's what matters too. 
I don't think I need to have somebody checked in for 40 hours if they can get their stuff done in 25. I mean, I'm saying that now. We'll see how it goes <laughs> in, in 18 yeah. months. But yeah, that's where I think the shift's going to be. I think from a marketing standpoint for companies and from a sales and marketing, I think we're going to have a much deeper need to really get embedded into our customers struggle and solution and really focus on, and I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head where you talked about predictable revenue and understanding like, okay, what does that recurring look like? So you can be not pandemic proof, but you can take the punches a little bit easier. So I think a lot more businesses are going to transition over to like, okay, what's our recurring model? Whether that's in the DTC side with membership or anything like that, I think there's going to be some shift there about understanding the customers and how you can set up some sort of recurring value, recurring value, which will lead to obviously recurring revenue. I think that'll shift as well. For sure. Yeah. And just, you know, and on that too, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the things that have been working lately, it's like really just cementing yourself in the customer's shoes and solving their problems when you look back, I mean, maybe we ultimately should have been thinking that way the whole time anyway, you know, it's a, it seems like this shouldn't be like a new wake up call. It should be something that maybe should have been um, the way software, whatever it is, widget X, Y, Z was sold anyway. I mean, you, uh, your North Star is your customer. You want to solve their problems. That's why you exist, why you're in business. And it, it maybe it shouldn't have been a pandemic that caused us to think this way. We always thought that way internally as a company, but I just mean more macro level. That's ultimately why you exist anyway. So I think that's uh, one of the positive things that uh, might have come out of the whole uh, pandemic and uh, new paradigm here is that, you know, maybe every company should be thinking that way, right? And uh, hopefully that ultimately helps people focus on solving real problems and not just uh, making companies and products for product's sake, right? So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there where it's like, I think every company had that philosophy of like, okay, I'm here to solve my customers' problems, but you said focused. And I think now everybody got focused on like, no, what real problems am I solving and how do I solve them? And like really, you know, falling in love with the customer's problem and running towards it and saying, how do we fix that? Opposed to like, yeah, exactly. I'm just going to make this new feature for the sake of it. It's like, no, what is this root issue and how do we fix it? I think, uh, I mean, my business, I'll be first to say our business, like, our attentiveness to customers and the clients we work with, our service level is like 4X what it was before. And I can admit that, Like, but we're so much more focused on like, how do we keep your business going and moving strong? And what are the direct marketing activities that are going to do that? That's been huge. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I love this. I love this idea. You know, the paradigm shifted, so it's time to rewrite the playbook. Tim, before I let you go, let people know where they can find out more about Caligo and connect with you online. Yeah, for sure. Caligo.com, uh, C-O-L-L-I-G-O.com. Uh, we have a great blog. I'd love for anyone to uh, stay in touch with what's going on for us with that. We are on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, myself, I'm, uh, I'm a big LinkedIn proponent. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter account as well, but not as frequently used as the LinkedIn account. So best way to stay in touch. And Jordan, I've loved the chat. I uh, look forward to uh, continuing to uh, stay in touch. So Beautiful. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. For anybody who wants to connect with Tim, I will put those links on the show notes page so you can go there, find out more about Caligo and connect with Tim on LinkedIn. Tim, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time. Um, 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 um.